Hello, fellow Gooners, and welcome to another episode of Canon Talk. I'm yours, Morna, and my co-host as usual, Aiden. How's it, guys? A tale of two tapes over our past few games. Let's head over to Sheffield United first. Arsenal welcoming Sheffield United to the Emirates. You know, 11 draws now in the EPL. What makes this worse is that, you know, as we delve deeper into the game, we could have won this game. No doubt there's an improvement in Arsenal's team at the moment, but we need to start turning these performances into points. You know, uh, what I picked up, it's almost like we were just not at the races at this game because I was expecting, you know, a sort of thing where we would not dominate the game and, and, and that, but it's like we, we almost like wanted to start off early, but all of a sudden you started seeing Sheffield United was like early on setting a marker and they were starting to ping the ball around. And I mean, Sheffield United almost like dictated the style, dictated the, the pace of the play. And I mean the thing that, that also now uh, stood out in the like especially the first part of the first half was we were almost like wasteful also with with whatever little chances because look they were not also giving um, you know us like just clear cut chances you know the way we were offering it up to them and there's also something we I didn't first take note I, I, I'm not sure if you I, think, yeah, I actually think you did bring it up in in the last podcast. We were talking also about the defensive game, like Sheffield United, or I think you and I had a private talk about it. I think, and it's almost like you can then you almost like realize, okay, they are like they have the second best something defense. Was, was yes, that? that's, that's, that's right. They are the second best defense in the league. It's crazy when you watch. I mean, the, just the way they they comp and everything is done with, you know, nothing is panic, nothing is like you know woofed out recklessly or whatever. It's, everything is played out calmly. And I mean. This is where I have to give a massive, massive props to that uh, Chris Wilder. Because, I mean, this the sort of team he put together. I mean, if you think in, in like, say, when you and I were younger watching us, the old, old Sheffield United sides, and I'm not talking the one of the Premier League, I'm still talking of that when it was the old first division. That was almost like the whipping boys, you know, they only had, like, say, the long ball to their game. I think at, at that time, I'm not sure also when, when Vinnie Jones also had a period there where, they also had like a real, you know, rough and tumble way about him when they played. Yeah, it's, like you said, <clears throat> very tough team to break down. And Arsenal just couldn't find the groove. I mean, the first 30 minutes of the game, I think, really belonged to Sheffield United. Like you said, they seemed like the the team that's, you know, more experienced, more established. And Arsenal were just having the run around. Like, yes, we had our chances of counter taxi and there. But we never took advantage of it. Mm. I mean, we did eventually got back to the into the game. We could say from the beyond the thirtieth minute. But Sheffield United really made us work. Yeah, because almost like they were dictating. You know, when sometimes when Liverpool are toying with people, when you think, okay, now we have the upper end. But it's almost like Liverpool are allowing you to have that upper end because they're not, you know, taking like a breather. And I think that is also where we almost like laid the hammer down on them that latter part of the first half because. You know, leading into like close to half time, it was like again, it was actually almost like a, a, against the run of play. You know, Lacazette feeds Saka, and then I mean the young Englishman then you know bursts down the the left flank, whoops in a, You know, when you look at his age and you think of that sort of cross that he's playing in for somebody that's and I mean that's not his natural position. You know, playing almost like a wing back, and he ends up just floating the ball, beats the defense as well as the keeper. And Martinelli bursts through and taps in an easy goal. 1-0 Arsenal. What I like about Martinelli is he, he always seems to find... 
himself in a dangerous place or in the right area at the right time. It reminds you of Cristiano Ronaldo. He always used to get yeah. those step-ins. But he used to come because he, he knew where the danger was coming. He always had like a, a third sense or a sixth sense where he could um, know where to be at the right place, right time. Martinelli, happy for him again. I think that was his ninth goal for the season, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that was the ninth, yeah. So, I mean, we, we go into the end of the... First off, you know, undeservedly, one would say leading 1-0. And I think Arteta must have had a talk with the guys because it seemed like Arsenal came out stronger in the second half, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I agree there. But one thing I also picked up myself, Sheffield United actually came with an even tougher approach uh, second half because I think within the first five or ten minutes, they were just clattering into play. <laughs> you know, like whenever we would not lay a pass off or play a ball, in midfield or whatever, they would actually just come in and, like, you know, a step on the foot, a little run, like, you know, even still running somebody over after they play the ball. And, I mean, I think Saka especially, he got battered numerous times because I think the ref at one point, I was actually wondering when he's going to actually take out the card to, to, to reprimand some of these Sheffield United players. But, I mean, they, they were giving it also as good as they were getting eventually. But my one concern is, is that, you know, Arsenal... Well, we're at 1-0 down, being the better team in the second... I'm um, 1-0 up, not down, sorry, in the second half. You know, struggle to find that elusive second goal, which has yeah. been up Achilles' heel probably for the past few games when we ended up drawing. But for me, I don't know, maybe you see it differently. I think Pepe, on another day, could have gotten a penalty for that tackle in the box. You know, it was, maybe it's a bit soft, but on another day, VAR gives that. So it's very inconsistent. And I think the ref should start using the screen more so that he can look at it and make a decision and say, okay, this is my decision. No penalty or penalty. But at least he gets a look at it and makes a decision instead of having somebody in his ear. I mean, this is the sort of penalties I've seen Liverpool being given like, like early on in the season via that VAR has been ridiculous. I mean, sometimes the player's just barely brushing the, the sock of the uh, player by the minute. He feels that the lightest contact, they go down like a sack of potatoes. And I mean, yeah, Pepe, as cheap as it did look, I mean, it was a clip. No matter which way you're looking at it, it was a clip on the shin. So it should have been a penalty. But again, lazy officiating does not make use of that that monitor on the, you know, at pitch side. And I mean, that I thought there was going to be already the trend coming since it was already the big talking point the Thursday and the Friday already. And it's like none of these officials are actually going to the TV and making the decision by themselves. It's every time, because it's, it's only like they get, they're already professionals in it. And now it's only like you, you get this sort of technology in your hand to make decisions. And you're almost like, you're still screwing it up. Yeah, and it's not the first time. It's happening over and over in the Premier League. And like you mentioned, Liverpool, you know, not meaning to... To gloat, I mean, not gloat, but to bring them down of their how well they're doing at the moment. Have they even got a red card this season? I'm not sure if they have. Uh, speak under correction. They maybe have gotten one, maybe. But VAR really seems to be crippling Arsenal at the moment. And not to make any excuses for us, because we should be putting our chances away. Make no mistake about it. But if you get some of the decisions that's gone against us, mm. it's been ridiculous. And I mean, like, back to the match again, Arsenal, you know, still giving up possession but of course the the, the the biggest worry is as the time the, you know the clock is winding down do you think to yourself we are just one or up and we're still not getting that killer second goal or killer third goal 
And I mean, you could actually see almost like Sheffield United were just feeding off that with the game being on that knife edge. And I mean, for me also, we, we, I was somewhat disappointed with with Arteta where he brings on Nketiah in the what was the seventy fourth minute for Lacazette. And I mean, for me, like I mean, of course, under as I say, like with this podcast, you and I give our own opinions and our judgments on things. But I mean, for me, it was almost like it took away that. You know, the little momentum that we did have in the in the half that was going to be tight. It was going to be tough to almost like break them down because I mean they are tough to even just get one goal past them. But it's almost like with Nketiah there, nobody was holding the ball up anymore. Any ball that was now going forward, he was not closing closing down. Uh, you know, fast enough the way Lacazette was, was because look with with Lacazette not scoring that he's been doing a hell of a lot of grafting in the game, and I mean. Even with that, with that uh, leading up to the Chelsea game, with a midweek game, I, I still thought to myself, he still offered more. You could maybe, you know, if we just take the Chelsea game into consideration later on, you could have maybe, you know, let him also another, have another sort of uh, cameo, not cameo really, but you let him play, but then you take him off, say, after hour against Chelsea or you do something like that. But for me, with, with this game, he should have actually played, you know, almost like the full game because he did offer that sort of outlet that allowed... Pepe to get the freedom to allow Martinelli to get, uh, you know, the space to, to, to go into. But for me, I was just, that was actually for me the thing where I was quite kind of, like, actually annoyed for that. I, I think the, the <laughs> Linketia coming onto the pitch started off well. He looked bright. He looked like he was closing down very well. But then afterwards, you just saw that he lacked a bit of extra quality on the on the ball, receiving the ball passing the ball, it all started to show like, you know, how he's maybe not ready to come in uh, or you compare him to Martinelli. I would have maybe even pushed Martinelli in the centre yeah. and let him maybe be the, the lone striker because he could have made something happen possibly. But, you know, once again, Arsenal's inability to put a game away really um, put him on the behind because was it John Flick eventually um, volleyed uh, a ball, a bouncing ball in the box, which, you know, to to me, is you know, how he could have allowed him to have so much freedom to still, you know, volley that ball in. And uh, when it hit his foot, you just watch the ball slow motion and you're like, oh, you're not kidding me. You know, 1-1 to Sheffield United. I mean, 1-1 equalizer, but, you know, momentum goes Sheffield United's way. Yeah, I mean, for me, it took the wind out of my sails. I mean, I felt, I mean, at the time, I, I think I, I'm not, I th- when I messaged you, I mean, it felt like a loss because you think to yourself, you all the chances were there, you know, to, to pick, you know, in, a, in such a tough game to, to pick them apart. You don't, you know, add to your goal tally and, that, and then this sort of thing happens. And it's, it's come to bite us <clears throat> from the Emery period now in the start of the season through the Freddy period, and now it's still lingering on now. It's like something... I still don't know how they are going to tackle this, because it's we just don't have that sort of net to, to see us over the line. So it's not like you have to score your two or three, four goals or whatever to get that sort of breathing space, because right now, a 1-0 for Arsenal, or this current Arsenal squad, is not, excuse me, is not good enough. You know, I must admit, you know, before we wrap this game up... Yeah. Arsenal's defence did reasonably well in this game. David Luiz made some good challenges. Xhaka was cleared the ball off the line, if I remember correctly. And the wing-backs even stood up and recounted. You know, we're always harping on the Arsenal defence. You know, they had their laps of concentration. 
but they did reasonably well in this game. I think Arsenal's attack let us down. They never put the chances away that we needed to put away. And I think you also mentioned to me in a private chat, Arsenal need to put the chances away. I mean, yes, the defense can be struggling, but if you score two or three goals, we win the game 3-1 or st- something like that. But at the moment, it's, our defense is quite brittle. You know, they work when they sometimes do put in the shift. But our attackers are also not putting our chances away. I mean, now he's so close to the relegation zone, it's, it's quite scary. Because I just think at times it gets to a point where you can play as solid as you want as a defensive unit, but there is always the one of that... I mean, I'm talking of this current squad now. There's always the one in the defense that's going to do some sort of miscalculation <laughs> or an error or whatever. And I mean, it's become almost like a walking <laughs> joke already, you know, or a running joke in the media already. Where they know also... Uh, as much as you, you're trying to to stick behind the club and to, you know, uh, get behind Arteta and, and, and the squad in general, but it doesn't like you do know there is always a, uh, a rick in the squad where something's going to happen and it's going to go wrong. Because right now, you're not having, like, with the firepower now, it's almost like Martinelli's not taking the the mantle solely, really. And a, a different sort of luck is, it, is now brought into being, like, you know, the... More like a hard work, more like that Giroud type that used to, you know, hold the ball up, set everybody else up. But I think he needs to also come out of his shell now, you know, going to the next few weeks now. Because, look, I, I really want a strong push now going into, not only now, the, as we're talking about the Chelsea game, but also want a strong push going also into the Bournemouth game. Because you look at the weekend's results. Yeah. You know, United dropped points against Liverpool, which was expected. Then you look at Spurs throwing to Watford. City throwing to Palace at the Etihad. I mean, those... I mean, Chelsea, sorry, as well, losing to Newcastle. Leicester losing to Southampton. Oh, is it, is it Burnley? Burnley. So, you, you look at, at that and you think to yourself, all you need to do, Arsenal, is just convert these draws into points and you, you, you can see that the top four is in reach. I mean, I'm not saying we're going to go for top four, but the, it, it's not dead yet because of the inconsistencies around us. Yeah, because I mean that's so crazy. You look at the table, string a few wins together, and you're back in the in the, in the top four, aren't you? Even because, as you said, there's so many inconsistencies with with all the other squads. Like you know, they are when they win, and then they they when you least expect it, then you see them get a couple of knocks off each other. Did you think? Well, I thought they were now going to be out of sight, but I mean it's it's down to us to also look at the table and think. Look, we can get higher up and. For me, it's uh, it's become a case of start gunning for them, you know, like bit by bit on that, that table. You go for it like that because when you least expect it, you see, look at, at uh, Sheffield United, you know, almost like played, played almost like the heart out of that against us. Did you see the way they played against Man City? They did try to do the same, but I mean, eventually they do crack because it's not like Pep is going to tell his team to, to go easy on them. They went for a full 90, you know, hard in on them and it, it led to that goal for Aguero. And and just hopping on to that Man City game, not to go too much in detail, but did you see the penalty that was given to Man City? I mean, very similar challenge on Riyad Mahrez that was on Pepe. Penalty given by a VAR and then not penalty for, um, you know, Arsenal. Yeah. So very much inconsistent. But going to the bridge, I mean, you, you, you and I on the previous podcast actually spoke about how we needed a minimum of four points in this in this games, but, you know, going to the bridge, um, you know, not the 
result we would have hoped for or wanted, but you know, you can't deny the passion and the grit and the desire and the never say die attitude that Arsenal gave. I mean, we haven't seen this attitude in a long time. So, you know, what was your thoughts on the game? You know, for me, I was actually laughing because last night, sometimes what I do when I um, go into the sauna, I actually have up like the podcast, you know, running so I can like listen to what you've not done. And I was actually laughing when that was the result where you predicted like what your thoughts would be. I think you were first, you know, and or not, you were now as a draw. And it's funny how this whole thing now just kind of played out, you know, also in a weird way. But, uh, you know, onto the game, it's like, you know, after a bright start, I think it was like we actually kicked off and, and went at a quick pace at them. But even like that also came to an abrupt <laughs> at the seventh minute because. Then you just see Charles, you know, pinging the ball around and, and you know, all of a sudden our players are being, or attempted to, you know, being pulled. Because, I mean, you could see this was actually Lampard's trick, you know, to like tie us out. But we weren't also, you know, too much falling for it because we were also conserving our energy. And I think that was actually the, the, the thing that was our downfall at the Emirates where, you know, we ended up almost like guessing ourselves quite early on in the game because of that high press and the tempo we were playing in. But I think this time, was played somewhat smarter, but I mean, then of course, <clears throat> excuse me, all that things where we, you know, start noticing, you know, we're in for one of those long nights when I think Chelsea's second or third corner of the evening, they float over. None of our players are really jumping in or attacking the ball, and Christensen gets a, a knockdown from, I think, Rudiger. And I'm in a free head, and he just glances the ball wide, and I'm thinking, here we go again. I remember that the, the commentator's words, I still remember it very clearly. He said, Christian Eriksen, um, Christian Christensen still hasn't, um, you know, found a net for Chelsea. And I was thinking, oh my word, almost Arsenal do the very thing that they always do in their games. They gift a goal to somebody who hasn't scored in ages or hasn't scored a goal for their club. So where we make, uh, was it Shane Long look like Messi when he plays <laughs> So, yeah, under the game also, then 16-minute uh, Tsunodoi. I think he was attempting actually a cross, but I mean, the ball ended up floating even further than they expected. And, uh, of course, I think Leno was actually caught off his line. And I first thought he tipped it over, but when they showed from the, the can that's inside the goal, I think if that ball had gone lower, he would have actually been embarrassed and beat Yes. He actually mistimed his jump completely. Yeah, at that point, you thought to yourself, oh, no, this could... Be a long night, and lo and behold, Shakran Mustafi. I mean, what he thought? I mean, <laughs> if you're not, I mean, you played football as a kid. If you're not sure of yourself, or you're not sure of how you're going to get the ball to your keeper, you put that ball into Rose so that your team can get organized again. And he, like, as the whole team was, I think, moving, you know, trying to spread the game and that. So it's almost like leaving him and David Luiz now almost like exposed or vulnerable. He decides a back pass, but of course gets it heavily, heavily under it. Tammy Abram intercepts, goes around Leno. And I mean, Leno first wants, you can see Leno wants to trip him first. And then he pulled away. And then by the time he's passed Leno, Tammy Abram gets shoved down to the ground by uh, David Luiz. Although, I must say, I mean, it, it was now a penalty and a red card, but I, when I... I was first also agreeing with the ref, but when I had a look at the replay again, by the time uh, Tammy Abram hits the deck, uh, Mustafa is already on the goal line. 
And I think that was actually where the ref should also use, you know, some, or that, not even the ref, but I mean, even VAR could have now seen, they even had a better view and, you know, extra replays to see that there was now a last man. So I think that was a bit, a bit harsh. I mean, penalty, yes, but I mean, for me, a red card was a bit harsh. You did, like, didn't they stop that, you know, that double jeopardy rule where you, like, make a professional foul, they give the penalty, and that is punishment enough? Because, I mean, yeah. I found that it was also a very soft, you know, penalty, it was penalty, but Abraham also went down very softly. And for me, do you think in a situation like that, David Luiz should just try to allow, to stop to stop the goal, but not commit a foul, and if I, they score to make it 1-0, leave it as is? I mean, I would have actually... Like putting myself in that situation, you could see you, uh, Tammy Evan was still trying to line himself up. And for me, I would have actually, you know, was like try to more obstruct him, you know, just try to go in with a sort of uh, jockeying stance. Because he, he's trying to get himself almost like more goal side to get that angle to shoot as a right footer. And I was just thinking, if I was now a defender, I would have just gone face to face and jockey him like that. So, but let him rather crash the ball into you or whatever, or have some sort of pop at goal where, you know, maybe it's going to be a goal from an, an acute angle, but still, you just keep your hands away from this whole thing because that has actually been the, my biggest headache also with, a, with, a, with a, like the team in general, where they always, they are not doing things like clever, like where I was telling you with the tactical fouls, where it's just like a random running to somebody or whatever. But we do it so obvious. Like the shove, you could see the way the shove is like off, hauling into the ground. And I think you're not making, you know, you're not doing yourself any favors doing that. And then, you know, Jorginho slotting in another goal for Arsenal, making it two in two games. Um, Arsenal are not renowned these days for ever saving a penalty. So, you know, I, I didn't have any hope. And I think at one all down, to be honest, I don't know how you listeners felt and how you felt. I literally felt like putting the TV off and going to sleep. Because, I mean, you know, I have to, like, you know, be up quite early in the mornings. And you think to yourself, do I sacrifice sleep? Or could this actually be, like, you know, a, a whipping that I could avoid? Mm-hmm. But, you know, you know, even though you think about these things, you end up toughing it out. And I must say, after that red card, Arsenal seemed to play a better brand of football. I don't know if we should always play with 10 men. But yeah, I thought we did really well from that point on. I mean, what I didn't or don't get really, if you can place, you know, with 10 men in a defensive unit like that, and you play that well for, for like, say, the majority of the game, why can we not defend like that when we 11v11? Because, I mean, you could see that that structure wasn't changed that much, but everybody was working was like 10 times harder than they were before. Yeah, you know, and... and you know, expects from them. And, and, and like Arteta said, he almost took off Martinelli. And yeah. he just decided to shift Xhaka and sit in the back, which, you know, we, we, we slated Xhaka a lot, yeah. you know, when he didn't perform. But give credit where it's due. He's stepping up a hell of a lot now. I think Arteta maybe had a word with him, but he did a really good job. Almost Fernandinho, like, slotting yeah. in as a centre-back. He, he was really positioned well. He didn't, like, he wouldn't, Mustafi never looked as unassured. Mustafi actually looked more safer at the back. And I mean, Leonard then pulled off a save, a fantastic shot from Hudson Nadoy again, you know, palming it wide. But you could see, as at that moment that you were talking about with uh, Martinelli, where they were already getting Rob Holding stripped off, and, and, and you know, you saw, you expected that sort of substitution to be made. I just thought to myself, also watching the game, 
Well, not sorry. I don't think you could actually see the way the game was panning out. We Arsenal were. I think that, that was also so thirty fourth minute. We Arsenal were starting to figure out how to play with those ten men because that is when Arteta then told uh, Holding to go back to sit down again because then all of a sudden Arsenal started all kind of outnumbering Chelsea again because now it was like Chelsea didn't figure out now how we're going to deal with this now because the sort of attacks that were coming now from left flank from the right flank. And, you know, little uh, to the middle, Torreira was getting a bit more freedom. When Nina saw, okay, nobody's tackling him. You would carry the ball even further to set up more attacks. So, you know, we actually, I, I was actually surprised how well we then dealt with this, you know, being a man down. Yeah. It, it, on an, another Arsenal side, would have probably gotten humiliated. But I don't know if you give kudos to the guys and Arteta, or is it just Arteta who came in and started changing people's mindset. But... A team like Arsenal, you know, dug in and did well to go to get to half time, only one all down. Yeah, and I mean, look, second half, I felt already Ozil should have been subbed because when I saw, you know, the, the, the sort of way we were playing and, and kind of like, as I said, I'm figuring out Chelsea uh, to play with another with a 10 men against them. Ozil was not really carrying the weight, you know, of, of helping out. So it's not like you were down to actually 10, uh, sorry, 9. Because he was not now doing the pressing anymore, whereas others were, you know, wherever they could, they were pressing. Other, other than that, they would be cautious. And he was also not, you know, holding onto the ball, trying to win us time with the ball. So, because every time I was watching him, because that also shows also a lot of, of like, of a person's character, to be honest. I mean, I don't know now, go an old slag thing of, of Ozil, but you could see he, when he had the ball, he would just give the ball off for someone like, let somebody else do, you know, handle the business instead of him. Being the you know the, the senior player, you know, kind of dictating the the pace of the game. Was like, you know, if needed to be slowed down to win, so your play your teammates can catch their breath, do that. But I mean, he just went about these little thing, doing his little side jogs and whatever, not really being part of any pressing and that. So he then got the boot at fifty five minutes, which I mean I really expect. I actually thought earlier, of course, but he got, he then came off when Dozy came on, who also brought that sort of energy and. Then it was that sort of drive that you and I were talking about when he sometimes he gets to carry it away when we, you know, 11 v 11 and he used to kind of, uh, you know, it was like uh, seal of a game for us. This time, that sort of energy was not needed and he was now carrying the ball wherever and tracking, you know, almost like most of the runners he was tracking because him and Mason Mount had probably for that whole, that period that they played on the pitch together, they had scraps, trips, I mean, the, you know, back and forth tripping each other, you know, obstructing each other, trying to break up play, and that. So, you know, that was actually a good battle to watch. And it just shows that Arsenal can get down and dirty if they need to, to you know, get stuck in a game because not all games are going to be open and play the free-flowing football. We were in a battle, and the guys stood up and were counted. Well, everybody stood up and was counted. And you know, big ups to to Martinelli as well, who, who showed real individual brilliance with that that and composure as well. With that Golo, he's getting the ball deep inside his own half, and N'Golo Kante doing a bit of a Steven Gerrard there. But, and the composure shown, like, he, he got to the box, and I was watching him, and a lot of other players would have scuffed that, or hit it into the keeper, or hit it wide, but he just waited for Kepa to make his move, and he coolly slotted it in to make it 1-1, and for me, I celebrated that goal in shock, actually, because I never saw it coming. Because, I mean, what I actually like, that ice-cool finish of the, you know, 
he waits till the goalkeeper goes down, and I mean, you know, you just shoves it almost like Henri type into the other corner. But I mean, also another credit we also want to give to is Mustafi with that header because I mean, it was like a pinpoint clearance which landed, you know, at uh, Martinelli's feet. And I mean, I think that's the, the commentators, like uh, they said, I think it was like some like 13 something seconds that sprint from the Arsenal box to the Chelsea box. Wow, that's quite fast with the ball at his feet. And yeah. I think, is it me or is, does Mustafi get that assist and does he have more assist than Jesse Lingard? <laughs> that could be partly possible. <laughs> uh, in the 81st minute, you could also see now, you know, the players were tiring now because it really got to a, a crucial you know, point in the game where, you know, the legs are starting to go. And, and I think Rob Holding then came on for Pepe. But, you know, when you, just when you think, okay, We've now got that what we have, what we hold. There, uh, Aspilicueta bags a goal. You know, almost like out of nothing, the ball just gets smashed across the box. He sticks out the foot. I mean, at, at first I did think Tam Avery was offside, but I mean, you could see he was not, you know, interfering. So, 2-1 Chelsea. Arsenal switched off in that short corner. I mean, you know, at that point in the game, you don't switch off. But it's been our Achilles heel. I don't know if we're tired because we've conceded a lot of late goals under Arteta. So it's definitely something that the guys need to need to try to work on. But I think it's also a trend. I mean, I've watched now. Um, so the past two nights, I've watched some Copa del Rey and some Premier League games. And it's like everybody's using the short corner. It's like a trend at the moment. I don't know if you picked up on this. Yeah, I, I haven't actually. But come to I me mean, now that you make mention to it, you're know, thinking back to a lot of goals you've seen happening. It's, you know, maybe everybody's taking knowledge from... Alexander Arnold against Barcelona that sparked maybe the the interest in doing more of those short corners. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I watched uh, it, could even be one of the, the uh, Coppa Italia games also this past week now. We a corner, the, the, the player takes the ball, puts it down, everybody's spe- expecting him to take it, and almost like out of the, the, the like your blind side as you're watching the game, another player comes and just hits a long ball for a corner, like takes a corner. And I thought, eh, how did that work? Because I mean, that was just another sort of ploy I haven't seen in a while. To, to be honest with you, once Arsenal conceded that second goal, I thought game done. You know, it was. I felt gutted because we put in a real good performance, and a draw for me would have been as good as a win. I mean, you ten against eleven at Stamford Bridge, so at that point, I thought, you know, after Arsenal coming back, they took off. Pepe would have kind of been a, a good goal-scoring outlet for us with his pace. So I thought I didn't know where the goal would come from. And I mean, I think this is where this was actually goal. Uh, you know, comment by you that you still message me. That moment where Tammy Abram got injured, where I think he probably had dead leg or something because he may, he did come back on the field and that, but you could see he was struggling. And I mean, it's a cold night. That muscle in that leg is probably tightening even more and more, you know, as you're trying to trudge along through that, you know, the pain barrier. And I think that, as you said, it almost like either, that key, that moment evened up everything because the, now all of a sudden it was 10 v 10 since he had no, you know, real leg to now run on. And I mean, Torreira, like Arsenal are really pushing it. And I mean, I think they also sensed, you know, the last bit of, you know, energy. We can still maybe get something out of the senses now, you know, 10 v 10. Because Chelsea was so tiring at the moment, and they also made these subs. And I mean, Torreira then plays in Bellerin. I mean, he cuts inside. I didn't expect anything fancy. <laughs> and he, he, like, I mean, Bellerin hits this little curler with a left foot. 
it don't look like a lot of power, but I mean, he had the direction, and I mean, just that, you know, aiming for that corner was enough to beat Kepa 2-2. And uh, I celebrated that goal as well, almost like the Belden equaliser, I think it was 2018, we also equalised at Chelsea, but with a more ferocious shot, but I mean, equally as important, I mean, allows the gap between us and Chelsea not to get extended too far. I mean, the results did kind of go in our favour yesterday with, not with Spurs, but I mean with um, United dropping points. So, throwing at the bridge, not the worst result. Mm. But if we had to convert Sheffield United into points, a throw at Stamford Bridge with 10 men would have been good enough. But, you know, onwards and upwards we go. I think if this result doesn't kick off Arsenal season, nothing will because the mere grit and hard work and determination, if they can carry this through for the rest of the season, you know, I'm not going to say we're going to win silverware or win the Cups or the Europa League. At least there'll be something to look forward to and we could be proud of where we end off. Yeah. So we draw attention now to the FA Cup game on Monday evening, Bournemouth versus Arsenal. Um, actually, first ever FA Cup meeting between the two teams. Quite strange to get, you know, to say that. In, in, in these times, yeah. but yeah, the first time they meet each other, and I'm in Arsenal, unbeaten to Bournemouth with the last four meetings. What's your thoughts on that tie? I, th- I think Arsenal could take this tie. Bournemouth are in a very bad shape at the moment. I'm, I've never seen them struggle this much. I mean, yes, they picked up a victory was it the, the, yesterday or the day before, but I don't think they have the the but not the ability. I say I would say the importance is probably to try to stay in the Premier League. And yeah. I don't think they're going to try to risk it by playing their starting eleven against Arsenal. So, or they like key guys. But I do yeah. think Arsenal, even though they'll rotate a lot, Martinelli, I think, will start because he's still young, energetic. They and, they, and Aubameyang won't be there to lead the line. So maybe Martinelli will get a shout. And I think Arsenal will be able to get the result that we need to move on to the next round. And I mean, look, you know, anyhow, his squad is always, you know tough to crack. But I mean, when you do, you know, when you do get the breakthrough, that is when you can normally, you know, pummel them. And I think that is also the sort of mindset the players should, you know, go into the style because I think a lot of the players are also, I think some also want to, you know, get this game over and done with because I think this, uh, this uh, Premier League winter break can't come, you know, soon enough because I think they actually, most of these teams are actually now looking forward to the sort of break, you know, we can now finally you know, recover from all this, you know, the battering from the Premier League and recover now, you know, let the muscles recover, let that, you know, any little niggles or strains, let that recover then over that period. But I mean, I also hope the, you know, if this whole thing now happens where they now do go to Dubai for the summer training camp, sorry, the mid-season training camp, you know, where they can actually, it can be of benefit to the squad also where, Little things can be also ironed out. It's been our, as you said, Achilles heel earlier. Yeah, so I think, you know, I, w- I would like us to have a decent run in the FA Cup. So getting the result will be good. And just a quick question with this, we kind of winter break they're having. Is it only done for Euro 2020 coming up? Or is it something they want to roll out in the future? Uh, excuse me, I just want to make a correction quickly. It's, we have the game on the Monday, the 27th of January. And then 2nd of February, we have Burnley. We are way to burn at turf more, and then after that is uh, like the two week break. So yeah, yeah, so actually an experiment because they noticed in in Italy they don't have the full winter break anymore. Now it's also like a 
a short, like, you know, 14-day period and, and the Bundesliga do about a two- to three-week break as well. So I think they also now have to get themselves into that sort of mode because, you know, when, when teams are, as you said a few months back, you know, when you start playing people into that red zones and your your squad is getting injured and, and you know, you have all sort of niggles, you also need some sort of time to recoup, you know, away from the game. And I think this is the, the sort of 14 days where you can do that, that type of thing. I think it's good. I mean, you know, in the European competitions as well, the English clubs always suffered because of eventually, you know, running out of steam close to the end. And the, especially in the European competitions as well, like the Euro 2020 and sorry, your World Cups as well. So it'll be good to have players recuperating, rested, and maybe they'll come back stronger. Hopefully that's the case with Arsenal. Because I think um, from what I've read last week, I think, uh, like Kolasinac, he would probably be right after that break. Because they actually want him to, you know, heal fully. And also, I think, I don't know which other players they were mentioning at the... They were also like kind of nursing into... Oh, yeah, Tierney, sorry. He was also talked about probably coming back even after that, that two-week break. Because he's now, as I said, he's doing already like weight training. He's doing, you know, lots of running and that. So they would probably then use that like two-week break to get him maybe into match mode again. You know, that sort of... So then you could have like two left-backs return again. And then it gives it freedom to Saka again to be a, a winger again. Yeah, it's just unfortunate with Saka. I mean, he has so much to offer going forward, but yet at the moment he's really tasked doing a difficult job at left back, playing out the position. I mean, one thing I must say with regards to him, he's won a hell of a lot of respect by me, and I mean, I'm sure many, many gooners, because for for somebody like that, that you know, your, your, your mindset is attack, 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 and now all of a sudden you're asked to defend and, and sit and, and, you know, be a, play even more like responsible about stuff, so... You know, hats off to the kid. I mean, he's doing a hell of a job. I guess it can only strengthen his game in the long run. Yeah. So, we end off our podcast there. We're just going to have a couple of talking points, not too many, as we're winding off this episode. Um, one of the talking points that's now, you know, rearing itself now after the Chelsea game is that uh, Sebayos is actually now wanting Madrid, Real Madrid to dissolve his loan deal with Arsenal so that he can still get the latter part of, of the season, a loan deal at a club where you can't play regularly. A bit of a you know, pity if that's going to happen. Uh, he was really a live wire when he came into the squad, picked up injury, picked up an injury, and obviously, you know, the toughness of the Premier League does eventually get to you, but I, I, I felt he could have offered more, and I'm not too sure what Arteta's gripe with him. Mm. Or if Arteta doesn't see he can fit in the team, you know, it's a big loss. I mean, compared to Ozil at the moment, and you know, I've always been covering up saying we can't get rid of Ozil because, you know, he's one of the only so-called world-class players we have left. But, you know, Sebayos could have done a similar job to Ozil, but would have worked off the ball more. So, I mean, I'm actually, yeah, he's quite disappointed because, look, he hasn't played since November 6th. He had that two-month recovery period or one and a half months out. But it's almost like you did not see anything, you know, where he can, or oh, he's given that chance to now come back in the squad. Or, you know, an opportunity to win himself back in the squad. Which I find somewhat disappointing. That's like with Quintuzzi as well. It seems like Arteta hasn't, you know, like with Emre, um, Quintuzzi was probably the first name on the team sheet, but now with, with under Lundberg and Emre, I mean, under Arteta, it seems like 
you know, he only gets a shout if someone's suspended or if someone's injured or if it's a cup tie. Mm. Yeah. So, um, there were our talk or rumors now also that loan deals still bouncing around. But, you know, I'm not really going to get involved in that talk right now because one thing that's actually become, I, I don't know, just also on Twitter, it's uh, something to rear itself more and more now. I mean, of course, it was all like something that, that not the fans pick up on it, but they don't really want to talk about it. And, and this is now down to Raul Salnehi. We talked about it, I think, last week or the last few episodes about it where it comes down now to also responsibility of recruitment because if if, if I I have this feeling almost like Arteta was always promised things like you know when he had to now sign the deal with us and now that he's now signed and whatever everything is signed and sealed and we're into the January window and now it's almost like you know they you know dragging their feet now with everything and it's not like we do not need players we do need players and I'm not saying us we should now go on a on a spending spree because everybody knows January is tough to bring in players because everybody is normally settled in their squads. But I just think to myself, look, you the guy that's like CEO of the club, you should see, because look, the club has now made whatever, say, funds and that available. It's down to you to also work out how you're going to fix this problem with like the injuries and that. Be more supportive to the manager because the way it's playing out at Arsenal is also like the same way it's playing out at Man United where that Woodward guy, he Look, the Glazers, no matter, I know they are eight figures in that at, the, at the club, but it's not like they do not um, not make money available because from what I heard, like last night, they said they've made almost like available almost 600 million. And you look at that sort of squad that United had put out over the, like yesterday, you know, like that last 2-0 to Burnley. So somewhere down the line, it's people like that, the Woodwards, the Salnaires, who also, it must also come on the chopping block then, if, if, the, if it's so easy for a coach to get these, you know, get the sack. Yeah, because you look at the amount of money, you know, both Arsenal and Liverpool, and not Liverpool, United have spent on players that haven't made an impact. You look at Fred, for example, you know, they spent an exorbitant amount on him. Then you look at Pepe, I'm not saying he might not come right, but we needed a centre-back or another dominant defensive midfielder, but we ended up spending so much on a wide player. But it's not yielding any fruit for us. So, you know, Arsenal have been spending money. But if you look at the money they've spent, you know, Mustafi was, what, 30 million? What, what, what they spent on Mustafi? Yeah, 35 million pounds. Yeah, I didn't even think it. I thought I was overstating the amount because is that worth 35 million? <laughs> then you look at... <laughs> yeah, what Gary said. And Valencia were actually willing to give him away for free. <laughs> So you, so you look at all these things. I mean, you know, we've always hopping on. Krunke must leave, Krunke out. But, yeah. you know, it's not all his fault. I mean, there is funds available. What <laughs> You know, with, with this whole thing, with, with that, just say, with the, I'm just thinking of the Mustafi thing as a as a point in, in, in this whole thing. It was like, you know, giving an old man money to go to a stripper place. And he's just waiting <laughs> of the money rain. They're like, the way Gazidis went, I mean, if, if, if we end up people that, that are almost like a bit smarter, they can probably need, like, you know, whittle a fee like that down to, like, say, 15 or 20, something like that, or, or even less. But it's not like we, as you, I think you, the, the, that's a big point that you also said last week. We're almost like spending for spending sake. We're not spending to think, okay, is this guy going to take us now, you know, three, four, five years down the line? Let, let, let's just put it into perspective. 
you know, before we end the podcast, we spent 35 million, Mustafi. Sadio Mane cost Liverpool 30 million. Salah cost Liverpool 36 million. Ningolo Kante cost Chelsea 30 million. And we paid 35 million for Mustafi. And we say we don't have money. It's crazy. So I said, they're just pushing the money away in all wrong <laughs> directions. But okay, uh, you know, that's be in the end of the podcast. Now, hope you guys have a fantastic weekend. Onwards and upwards, Arsenal. Come on, you gunners. Let's get to the next round of the FA Cup. <laughs> <laughs>